What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Planeswalkers Anonymous, the magic podcast all about slinging that cardboard. And if you or anyone in your life shares our obsession with Gitaxian probes and hands of death, we are here for you. We won't rehabilitate you, but we'll have a lot of fun. I'm Duncan. I've missed every single trigger this turn. Donovan, why aren't you reminding me about my triggers? Dude, that's that's not my responsibility. You would be nice, though. Well? I could, like, get a game loss over here. Yeah, but I think I'm more likely to win this match if you miss your triggers than if I get you a warning for missing your triggers and you get your triggers to happen. I, I mean, you, you are playing the game cutthroat, Donovan. Well, you know me. All about cutthroat magic. I don't do anything if it doesn't help me win no love of the game there okay yeah no well, this is we're not here for fun i'm here to win what have you been up to this week well we had our thanksgiving stuff going on this week and i didn't really do much else i played arena and i tried to get to mythic before the end of the month but when i started it in gold at the beginning of last week uh, we did not make it i'm sorry i made it to platinum one yeah here you were so, pretty close i don't know it's like a rank and a half away Gotta get all the way through Diamond and then go up to Mythic. But we went from, like, Gold 4 to Platinum 1. So we made it almost all the way through two tiers of ranks. Okay. So we were pretty close to getting at least Diamond. Yeah. It was fun and didn't quite get there. I'm a blame Disconnects because I lose nearly as many matches every month to Disconnecting on Arena rather than my opponent beating me. That's right. I think if you uh, reduced your losses by, like, 50%, it would affect your ranking? Yes. I think it might a touch. All right, well, let's get you some better internet. Maybe one day. Uh, patrons, get on that. Yeah, send me internet. <laughs> Can you mail me internet? Send me internet over the internet. There you go. Moving on. I actually played a little bit of Magic this weekend. I played a draft. Yeah, now we know at... why you don't go to FNM. What? Cause... I did go to FNM. Yeah, and it went horribly for you. No, I, I went 2-1. No, not the FNM itself. <laughs> the trip to go to fnm yeah yeah um, but i played a draft at boardwalk games Ooh, i like that story yeah it was pretty nice everyone there was real cool all the employees were real cool thank you the players were good people but yeah on my way home i did get rear-ended and my, not in a good way no my car spun across three lanes of the highway over the ditch in between the roads over another road and embedded in the embankment of that second road. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Were you, are you okay? Yeah. Yeah, I was fine. But I guess uh, Honda Civic, pretty safe vehicle, I suppose. I It was pretty bad accident, I suppose, but everyone in the vehicle is fine. So, like, entirely fine. Seat belts are a good thing, people. Yeah, I recommend them to anyone who likes to listen and uh, drive cars. Wear your seatbelt. Yeah. Or ride in cars. <laughs> But that was a thing that happened. On a lighter note, <laughs> there were some other people playing Magic this weekend in uh, Bologna. <laughs> yeah, there was a Magic Fest uh, Bologna in Italy. Had a Legacy GP, right? Yeah. And, see, it was won by Mark Vaught playing yeah. Bant Miracles. And Andrea Mangucci got top eight, famously of Mangucci Cuisine. I think he's the one that's famous for his uh, cooking channel on Twitter. Well, apparently, it was pretty big news for him because although he has top-aided three Pro Tours and won the Mythic Invitational, even though he had played in 75 previous Grand Prix, he had never top-aided a Grand Prix before. So this was a pretty interesting bit of random trivia. Yeah. Finally made it to that elusive 
GP Top 8. And apparently he's famous for his legacy play, and this was a legacy Grand Prix in his home country of Italy, so, I mean, it was the appropriate one, right? He wasn't playing his home format in his home country he he had to travel or he wasn't playing the format he's used to oh so you're saying this one he only won because he had an unfair advantage no i'm saying all the other times he was at an unfair disadvantage Hmm. isn't it called like the home field advantage it's not called the away game disadvantage yeah but he doesn't actually like live in baloney (laughs) nobody lives in baloney donovan well, just, I mean, I hope not. This time he had to travel less. So right. he wasn't so put out. Hmm, I see, I see. It's the jet lag that's been holding him back specifically yes. on GPs. Pro Tours, Invitationals, these things. Doesn't have to worry about jet lag with those, but with GPs, it No, kills those him. are longer events. He has more time to get into the flow of things. All right. Well, uh, congratulations to Mark Vaught as well. He was spent more time talking about Minguchi, but... He didn't even win. Mark yeah, he... Vaught got there anyway. Yeah. Mark Vaught beat him out. Actually, I don't know that they played each other, but... But it's also cool that Miracles is doing well. That's always good. Yeah. Because Miracles is historically my best matchup in Legacy, so... Oh, that's your best matchup, so that's why it's good? Yeah. No, I mean, it's good whenever it is doing well. It's good for me. Right. Right. Oh, I was thinking, uh, it's, a... it's just it's a fun deck. Like, Miracles is a fun mechanic. Hey, that's that's probably a lot about Magic Fest Bologna. Well, some people like Bologna. A position I will never understand. Let's get to the news, man, because we got several people decided to get their side of the story out to the public this week, you know? Yeah, somebody was telling me up at Boardwalk about Tom Ross being let go from Star City, mm-hmm. and uh, we looked into that a little bit, and it looks like Tom Ross said that he wasn't doing great at work, and he doesn't think that they're wrong necessarily about deciding to let him go, Yeah, but he went and talked to them about why he had been doing poorly. He'd been suffering from some mental health issues, such as depression, I think. I don't think his comments on the subject specified that, but he mentioned that he has gone public with what he's dealing with and so i'm sure that information's available i just i am not aware of what it is he's struggling with but anyways and he went and talked to them about it and he just kind of felt like they were giving him the cold shoulder about it they yeah. weren't willing to work with him at all and he even offered to write a farewell article for them and they uh, told him no yeah and that's pretty harsh some of the comments on his this was on reddit so it's fairly anonymous but there's a lot of people who, who said that that seems pretty typical of cedric phillips that a lot of people like his commentary but apparently he's not very personable. His, his yeah, I've heard he's not great to work for. Yeah. But Tom Ross himself said that his the quality of his work had been suffering recently. So when we say that, Cedric Phillips may have done the correct business decision. He just... Yeah, I, it's just one of those things that whenever you do that, they talk to you and they say like, hey man, I'm going through some stuff. You really wish there was some kind of recourse you could take, put you on a leave for a bit or something. Yeah, that does seem like it would be the better way to go because there's not not really any reason they couldn't do that as far as I understand. Like, I don't know if they have a contract with Tom Ross or something that would preclude it, but they could put him on an unpaid leave if they wanted to, you know? Yeah, and if he didn't want to come back because he wanted to find work elsewhere, that's fine. Right. But it's just a little bit less harsh than just firing him if he was having some outside struggles that he needed to work through. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like I said, I wasn't very familiar with uh, what's been going on with Tom Ross, so I don't have strong feelings about it, but I definitely think that it sounds like he is being very reasonable in the situation, considering he was just let go. You know, a lot of people would 
come out and say like, oh, they were horrible. And he, he did, you know, comment that he didn't like what happened or the way they handled it, but he's just comes across as very reasonable about it. And so that makes me sympathetic. Yeah. And that's one of those things that makes the other person look even worse. Yeah. If he was going off and saying how awful they were and saying they did terrible things to him, then they would actually seem better. Right. Because the more dramatic one is in, the, in their complaints. Uh, Less credible. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I don't have really any other comment on it. That's... I don't either. There's not really a lot of info there about this, but I just yeah. wanted to touch on it because sure. he's a pro magic player that a lot of people are a fan of. And yeah. if they hadn't heard, I wanted to keep him up to date. Yeah, definitely. And Reed Duke also has kind of put out a statement, separate issue. But do you remember one of our very first episodes? We actually were talking about Reed Duke going into the Hall of Fame. And you mentioned that he's been criticized some for supporting Owen Turtonwald. Yeah. Well, he actually decided to address that someday and he tweeted seems like a good time to clear the air and put in a photo of text right but yeah he's just saying that he doesn't support the things that owen's done but he does know that owen's his friend that could do better and be better and he's trying to support owen to achieve that yeah and you know i think there's gonna be a lot of people who don't accept that i think there's gonna be yeah. a lot of people who say no owen is bad so you shouldn't associate with him anymore. But I also think if you have a friend who is doing the wrong thing, you are the person who is best or is in a position to make that better. Yeah, and I think that this is, I don't know them and their relationship or anything, but it just seems like if you think that your friend can be better and you think that they are trying, then it's good to support them rather than shut them out. Because if you shut them out, then they'll lose the motivation to do better. Yeah, and... So this is something I was not really researching, but kind of paying attention to, looking into about the, the recent fascist movement in America. Yeah. And something that I kind of discovered in that is what happens to people when they mess up sometimes. And this isn't always. What happens sometimes, someone who messes up and says the wrong thing or does a wrong thing, whether it's because they were misled or misunderstood the severity of the issue or for whatever reason, they could not be an absolutely horrible, unredeemable person, but they mess up and then they get shut out by the people that think that's a bad thing to do. And then they get accepted by people who think that's an acceptable thing to do. And it drives them further into that mentality. Yeah. And so I think that I respect Reed Duke for saying that he wants to remain friends with his friend because he thinks that his friend is still a valuable person, even if he has made mistakes. And I think it was classy of Duke to say this now rather than when he is being inducted because, you know, it comes off as disingenuous to be like, oh, now that this actually matters. I'm going to apologize for it. Yeah. Because he did apologize in this as well. He not only said that he has supported Owen for this reason, but he also said that he realized his support of Owen may have hurt some of his fans. They felt like he let them down, and that wasn't ever what he wanted to do. Yeah, and I think part of it comes from the fact that he thanked Owen in his induction speech. Yeah. Without any kind of caveat about Owen. Right. He just thanked him like he was thanking everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I think that probably was off-putting to some people. Yeah. I think that's part of why this has come to a head, and maybe that's why it would come to his attention more, that some people don't feel that he had been addressing the issue well enough. Yeah, but I think that was good. Like I said, I think there's going to be people who disagree, and, uh, and I think that we've 
I think that on this show we have brought up the uh, social issues in the magic community and stuff often enough to make it clear that we aren't going to be the sort of people who brush that sort of stuff under the rug or anything. But just in this case, I think he did a good. Yep, I agree. It sounded like you were going to say something else there. Did I cut you off? No, I did not. Or was not. Did not, would not on a train. Did not, would not in the rain. Correct. Because doing podcasts in the rain seems like a bad plan. Uh, train would probably be about as successful as I am now. I probably have just as good internet train as I do in my apartment. <laughs> well, one thing that you can do with your internet is check out the Gargoyles fan page. Do you remember Gargoyles? No. The cartoon? You don't? Yeah, uh, I remember I... it. I'm just kidding. Okay. Well, this, it was like the first uh, the first animated cartoon from the Disney Channel. And is that so? Did not know Yeah, that. yeah, it is. The reason why I'm talking about Gargoyles, though, is... Greg Weisman, the author of the War of the Spark Forsaken novel that we were talking about before, decided to put out a statement about Chandra Nalar, and he put it out as a blog post on the Gargoyles fan page. Ah, because Chandra's a gargoyle? No, I actually was pretty... Boggled. Yeah, uh, my ghast was thoroughly flabbered as to why he would make his statement on the Gargoyles fan page, you know? But mm-hmm. then I decided to look into it, see if there was a reason... Uh, he's like not just shoving it in some page that he happened to be on. Actually, apparently Greg Wiseman created Gargoyles, and he currently writes the Gargoyles comic books. That is an ongoing concern, and he runs the fan page, and that, so that's just his blog. Well, that seems like a reasonable place for him to put it, put it then. <laughs> right? It does. So, like, at first I was like, what the are you doing, dude? And then I found this out, I was like, oh... Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess that's where we should have expected to find news from you. Right. On your blog. Yeah. But he actually said that he liked Chandra and Nissa's relationship, and the way that it turned out in the book wasn't what he wrote, is essentially what he's saying. Uh, he's a little bit mealy-mouthed about it, so I don't know if, if it really got changed in editing, or if... He felt pressured to do it differently. My impression was that he wrote it one way, and they pressured him to cut some stuff that made the things he said make sense more in the context. Yeah. But he did write this, and that this just... The part that made it through editing did not come out showing everything that the original covered. Yeah. And what he ended up saying was the story clearly didn't meet anyone's expectations or deliver on his intentions. And he said he's sorry. He said he's sorry for that. And so I'm kind of like, okay, you know, who knows? I know there's been a lot of criticism of Nick Kelman, who is... Story director? I don't know. Yeah, the story director. Oh, cool. Called it. For Magic right now. And he's been criticized in relation to this. I didn't bring it up in our podcast when we talked about this, because the problems with Kelman don't seem to be related to biphobia or anything. It just seems to be he seems to be a bit of a creep, and people don't like that he's been put in charge of the magic stories, and then the magic stories that have come out since then people have been dissatisfied by. Yeah. But, who knows, maybe, maybe it was him, or maybe not. I'm still a little stuck on the whole... In parentheses, meaning directed at the audience, decidedly male comment. Yeah, and who knows, maybe that was stuck in in editing, but like you said, I got the impression that... Well, so I think with reading what Weisman was saying, it mm-hmm. could be stuff about how she 
had always been attracted to decidedly male characters, but also some other things, maybe. and they just cut out the other things. Yeah, maybe. I think that's a fairly charitable way to take this, and I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't be charitable to Greg here. I think that his comments seemed reasonable, if not particularly heartfelt. I don't know, but it just seemed like he was like, oh, yeah, you guys didn't like my story. I didn't like it either. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's also one of those things that he he's apologized and he says that he did wrong, but you kind of got to keep at it with people sometimes or else they'll continue to make the mistakes. Right. If they show in the future them doing better, then I'll be more on their side. This yeah. has made me want to keep watching. Sure. He came out and said that he doesn't agree with the way it turned out. Whether he did or didn't intend it to turn out this way, now he's saying he doesn't agree that it should be that way, right? So if he does more in the future and does a good job, I'll be okay with that. But at the moment, I'm not advocating he should write another magic novel. Correct. Yeah, that was basically three different people who had something to say on the interwebs about... Stuff going on with them? Yeah. There's a little bit of stuff going on with us, though, here at the podcast, because the last episode said that I'm going to do a giveaway, have a drawing and do a giveaway, and we're going to announce the winner of the drawing at... So... I was going to get into this a bit when we get back to our feedback, but we're probably going to not have an episode the week of Christmas. Okay. Seems reasonable. Yeah. Okay. So we'll do the drawing and announce the winner the episode after Christmas. Okay. Our first episode post-Christmas. And I'm going to give away one of these secret layers that Watsy made. So a box set of individually curated magic cards. That'll be pretty cool. I, however, would like to retract my vote for... You don't think it can get by on having an awesome name alone? No. It had a really cool name, and I was expecting some explosive cards out of it, but yeah. got a little bit goblin Yeah, it's just goblins. Some shenanigans going on of the Bogart variety there. <laughs> but not Bogart shenanigans. Nope, no Bogart shenanigans in there. I mean, they're pretty good cards, right? They're... Yeah, they are. I just... They're but not, they're, they don't explode. Yeah. If they're they just, didn't even goblins. put a goblin grenade in there. <laughs> but we found out what's in all of the layers. So, unfortunately, there's not going to be time, I think, for anyone to suggest to me what they want to get. Because by the time this episode's up, we'll be halfway through all of the drops. And I didn't get anyone contacting me from last week. So, just real quick, because we don't want to spend too much time on this. Bitter Blossom Dream set is a copy of Bitter Blossom with the extended art frame and special art and four fairy rogue tokens. Yeah. Also all have special artwork that go with them. Then Eldrain Wonderland turned out to be five basic lands. There's no cover. I was going to mention that, but they're, they're alternate art foil lands. Mm-hmm. They're nice probably, but personally I say not $30 nice. <laughs> Just there's some fancy lands, five Five of them, one of each color. Then Restless in Peace has a Life from the Loam, a Golgari Thug, and a Bloodgast in. Those all have new art. Seeing Visions is four copies of Serum Visions, all with a different original artwork. And they all look pretty cool. They're definitely very different from your typical magic artwork. So, like I said, Explosion Sounds has these five different goblins in. There's a Goblin Bushwhacker, Goblin Sharpshooter, Goblin King, Goblin Lackey, and Goblin Piledriver. Then Kaleidoscope Killers is three different five-color legendary creatures. Reaper King, Sliver Overlord, and the Ur-Dragon, which are 
fairly popular commanders for those people looking for the five-color decks. And then uh, OMG Kitties, we talked about last week. Yeah, and I think that these things are all cool, and they're probably all the kind of thing that if you bought them 15 years from now, you can sell them for more money. Yeah. Some of them, I think if you bought them, you can next week sell them for more money. But sure, I just think that all of them are things that are probably reasonable yeah. purchases long term just from like a finance standpoint. I think if you buy this and don't open it, I would be willing to make a pretty significant bet that you would be able to pretty much immediately turn around and sell it for a profit. Because even though these are being printed to, to order, there are going to be people who missed it. Yeah, and they're only going to be accepting orders for 20 20- Right. So there will be people who really, really want that life from the loam, but they missed it. They didn't know it was happening, or they just didn't have time, or they forgot that was the right day. And that person who cares about it is going to be willing to pay a premium for it. Yeah. Because I think the main selling point of these is as collector's items, not as playable magic cards. Although it's worth pointing out, I think we did before, but pointing out they are all playable magic cards. Yeah, you're allowed to play them in your decks. And I think that they are, like you said, they are for collectors. Because Mm -hmm. I think that the only place that any of these are of any value as far as playing in your deck goes is pretty much just commander because only one of these comes with multiple copies of any of the card sure and even then you got four different artworks on it so a lot of people like their arts in their debt to match yeah. but yeah i think these are all collector's items sure and like you said the kaleidoscope killers is the one that's most likely to have some use for the cards and it's i don't know this for a fact it seems to me that commander players have a greater overlap with collectors than typical players so i just thought this seems like it might be one of the more desirable ones of these products and unless i hear differently before december 8 sunday so yeah this episode will be out before this so unless i hear differently before december 8th Sunday. I think that's the one that I will get to give away. Unless, Donovan, you feel strongly that I should pick a different one. No, I think that's a, that's a good option. Cool. So, anyway, that's what turned out to be in all the secret layers. They, they'll they be available to buy all this week. And we're going to get a copy of the Kaleidoscope Killers set to give away on the show after Christmas. And you can participate in that by... Your name gets entered in the drawing if you support us on Patreon, if you follow me on Twitter, and if you retweet any tweets that I do about this. I'm going to tweet about this, and if you retweet me, you get an entry into our drawing. So, do that. Uh, I don't know, Dom, you have any other comments on Secret Layers? No, no one needs to know where my Secret Layer is, so... All right, well, let's uh, turn it over to the ad rotation for a few minutes, and... Well, hopefully not a few minutes, that'd be a pretty long ad. Maybe a minute. Yeah. And we'll come back and talk about some of the the wisdom from the ancients in the magic community. I don't know if they want to be referred to as that. (laughs) Very much doubt they do, but... (laughs) Call Mike Flores an an ancient? He's not that old, surely. No, he's not that old, but he's been playing magic since the game came out. So it's, it's as old as you can be a magic player. What was the best day of your life? Remember that it's memories like these that make life in Otaria bearable. But why remember painful events? Why remember an unfaithful lover or a friend lost in the pit fights? Our thought nibblers provide a safe, 
non-surgical method for removing these unwanted experiences. Simply attach one of our crab slug bat monsters to your skull and relax as it extracts painful memories and undesirable concepts such as individuality and replaces them with a sensation of great purpose. The process is free of charge and many of our customers choose to adopt their thought nibbler and allow it to take permanent residence on their head and in their mind. Thought nibblers, a riptide project. And remember, you don't have to remember. Uh, you know, the fact that that's a free service seems pretty good, but they said non-surgical, and I'm looking at the image that they put out with this, and I'm not entirely sure that's accurate. Have you seen Thought Nebblers, Donovan? Uh, is that what we were talking about today? No, we, we were gonna talk about some some of the... That thing is disturbing. I don't recall. Sorry. Uh, actually, today, I kind of didn't talk to you ahead of time about what we were doing, so I just blindsided you with this, but I would kind of like to do a, a mini-series inside our podcast. Not, you know, all in a row, but just whenever we have some time and we don't have something else that we want to talk about in particular that week, I'd like to sort of revisit some of the articles or videos that the magic celebs have been putting out over time, because I think there's a lot of really great insights and wisdom and stuff from some of the best magic players that I don't know, it's just getting old like me you know like I'm old enough that I've been around to see a lot of this stuff and you know I know there's going to be some listeners who are like I've been playing magic longer than you but I've been around for a long time for a magic player and I think that there's a lot of this stuff that some people may not be familiar with and it might be fun to talk about or useful to think about again even if you have seen it before you know yeah it seems like a good plan because even if you are familiar with some stuff just reminders of some of the basics or what we think of as basics now as your stuff kind of gets into here mm -hmm. can help you not get too caught up in getting fancy yeah sometimes you're, you're playing your deck and you're trying to do the fancy stuff and your friends like looking over your shoulder going could have like attacked him and killed him three turns ago <laughs> yeah i mean typically that's donovan looking over my shoulder and i'm not trying to do something fancy i'm just oblivious but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so as we do these, I know that some of these things won't seem like dramatic revelations of great genius to listeners who weren't reading these things at the time, because a lot of the particular articles that I'm thinking of on the top of my head were so influential that they like changed the landscape of magic and are kind of considered some of the first principles that you teach people when you're teaching them to play magic now. Concepts like card advantage, who's the beatdown, and the fundamental turn are all just something magic players in general seem to know now. But there was a time when these things were new concepts, and there were articles on the dojo back on the Usenets, or the Duelist, which for people who don't know was a, a magazine about magic strategy that used to be published by Wizards. Okay, Boomer. Yeah, yeah, a physical magazine made out of paper. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where some of us learn some of these lessons for the first time. And hopefully some of this will be useful to people. But even if it's not, I personally just think it's fascinating. Yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, so the one that I brought to the table today is one I was hoping people might not be as familiar with because it seems to have kind of lost some of the attention that it got at one time. And I don't know if that's because people have mostly kind of internalized the concepts or if 
it's just been overshadowed a bit, as I'll mention in a minute, but it's called The Philosophy of Fire, which was written by Mike Flores for Star City Games. And although his article was, as he said in the article, building on principles that were discovered or at least outlined by Adrian Sullivan, this was the article that got out to people who who got to read about this for the first time. Yeah. So to sort of give an idea of how impactful this was at the time, I have a quote from Patrick Chapin in his article, also on Star City, as a matter of fact, called Innovations, the Theory of Everything, where he said, These are the three fundamental building blocks of magic. The philosophy of fire, tempo, and card advantage. And I think people have mostly heard of card advantage. You know, that's a a phrase that is common in magic. And while they may understand the philosophy of fire, I would be willing to bet relatively few players are familiar with the term. Yeah, I, I don't know that I'd ever heard it before, and I've been playing magic for 20 years. Right, and tempo is less well-known than card advantage, but it's still used. But I don't think I've heard a player say the philosophy of fire in like 20 years. Yeah. But it is, or I was at least at one time considered on the same level as tempo and card advantage. And I think there are still plenty of players that still follow the philosophy of fire, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of fallen out of the forefront of people's minds that that's what they're doing. Right. And people don't think about it anymore. And that's part of the problem is a lot of the community has shifted to saying that the burn and the aggro decks don't think right which is not really true like a a lot of the best players that play those decks could come up with plenty of moments where they outthought their opponent exactly a lot of those decks the thinking comes not in figuring out how to play your spells you know how to play your spells the thing is figuring out how they interact with your opponent's spells because your opponent has cards to stop you Mm -hmm. and your kind of strategy doesn't allow for you to have cards to stop them so you need to use your cards effectively even when your opponent is doing their best not to allow it there is still a lot of thought that can go into playing the burn and the aggro decks on a high level yeah in fact i think one of the other articles that i wanted to do for this series when we get to it is called low tide and that's a, an article by patrick chapin and for anyone who's wondering I, i'm a fan of him i've mentioned him a couple times and he doesn't really even have anything to do with this article but his article low tide is really just a story about a game that he played where he was playing the high tide deck but his opponent managed to exile all of his copies of high tide from his deck so he didn't have a win condition anymore and he had to try and figure out how to win the game with his win conditions just removed from his deck and he did win the game and the reason i bring that up is because that's the position you're in when you're playing an aggro deck like all the time yeah your win condition is you've got to remove 20 points of life from them and Mm -hmm. a lot of times when you're playing the aggro deck your opponent is moving that goal line you know and you've got to figure out how to use the tools that are available to you to get there yep you don't have like i'm going to play this card and it will win the game yeah but that's sort of what this whole thing is about is that we Kind of how people think of the red deck or the white weenie deck or or whatever. That it all kind of plays into the same concept as sort of the knuckle dragging decks in Magic. So yeah, I just I want to play my spells and hope to win. Whereas the the smart players know that card advantage is how you win, right? Yeah, hundred percent accurate. <laughs> but really, that that's kind of what the the philosophy of fire is all about. Is how the aggro decks are just as much as the control decks playing 
on a different axis of the game that requires every bit as much complexity and strategy to win the game and has decision points and depth. So this is a pretty lengthy article that Mike Flores wrote, and a lot of it is examples and stories that are associated with this stuff. But to me, in my interpretation here, the thing essentially boils down to two concepts. The first one is just the card shock, which is one red mana for an instant that deals two damage to any target. And the idea is that shock is considered the baseline for a burn spell. You get... Two damage for one card and one mana, and that's relevant frequently, but for the purposes of what we're talking about primarily, it's two damage for one card. So what your expectations for value of your cards, if you're just trying to reduce your opponent's life total to zero, is that you get at least two damage for every card in your deck. And so if, say, you have a deck that is all shocks, you just need ten of them to win the game, right? And you start with seven in your hand. So, theoretically, it shouldn't be that difficult to get in enough shocks to win the game. Yeah. The problem, though, comes up when you need lands. If all seven of your cards are shock, you can't play any of them. So, some number of those are land, and so you're not going to be able to shock your opponent out on turn three if you're literally playing shocks and mountains. Yeah. Uh, So, that gets us into the second concept involved and that is basically that anytime you get more than two damage out of your card then you are gaining card advantage just like when the control player plays a brainstorm to draw extra cards and they're getting that holy of holy card advantage by having more cards in their hand than you do you get card advantage by dealing damage to your opponent in a way i made some examples here One of the classic ways that you get card advantage in a control deck is two-for-ones, right? Everyone knows you want to get a two-for-one where you can. And a classic two-for-one card, although, like I mentioned earlier, I'm old, so people might not be familiar with it, is Annihilate. And Annihilate is a black instant for its black, black, and three. It's a destroy target, non-black creature. It can't be regenerated. Draw a card. So the card advantage you get is you killed a creature and you drew a card. Right? Seems pretty card advantage Yeah, but I would suggest Searing Blaze does the same thing, because it doesn't draw you a card. Uh, what Searing Blaze does is it's red and red for an instant, and it says Searing Blaze deals one damage to target player and one damage to target creature that player controls. It has landfall, and if a land entered the battlefield under your control this turn, it does three damage to that player and three damage to that creature instead. So, if you Searing Blaze someone and you deal three damage to them and kill their creature, then you got the removal and a card worth of value. Just like Annihilate got the removal and drew a card. Yeah, like with a burn deck, when you're trying to burn your opponent out, you wanted to use all your cards for dealing two or three damage to your opponent anyway. Exactly. And so anytime where you got to do that, and you got to take a card from your opponent is, for you, card advantage. Right. Even if it's not the same kind of card advantage that the other side of the table is trying to work. Yeah. Another example would be Skullcrack. I'm going to suggest Skullcrack is just as good as Cryptic Command. Because a Cryptic Command may be used to counter your creature and draw a card. Whereas Skullcrack is an instant for red and one. It says players can't gain life this turn. Damage can't be prevented this turn. Skullcrack deals three damage to target player. And you may think that's just a terrible lightning bolt, 
with some extra trinket text, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're using Skullcrack, well, I don't want to say correctly, maybe you do use it as a lightning bolt. That <laughs> may be what you do with it, and that's fine. But what I'm suggesting is that if you play Skullcrack in response to a spell that someone would use to gain life or prevent damage, then you've countered their spell and you got a lightning bolt. Yeah, and these things are things that I think people kind of understand a lot, but Mm -hmm. it helps to really think about them. And that's one of the things that I'll play Magic with people, and whenever I'm playing an aggro deck sometimes, when the game's over, I'll be like, oh man, look at all the card advantage I gained. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, you still had seven cards in your hand. Yeah. I had zero. I gained huge card advantage by ending the game. Right. And then I think another way you can gain card advantage in a less direct way is all of my examples here were instants, right? But say Goblin Guide. It's a card I've mentioned before. I like Goblin Guide. He's a 2-2 creature for one red. And as whenever he attacks, your opponent reveals the top card of their library. And if it's a land, they can put it in their hand. So He also has haste, which I think you did not mention, which is kind of important. You're right. I didn't mention it. Goblin Guide has haste. And so at face value, I I think everyone realizes Goblin Guide is good. So I don't have to explain why it's good. I think they either realize he's good or have never heard of him. (laughs) Sure. Sure. At face value, Goblin Guide might appear to be anti-card advantage. You know, it's like, whoa, you're giving cards to your opponent. Sure, they're all lands, but that's just digging them into their other spells, too. Yeah. And so that seems bad, especially from a card advantage perspective. But Goblin Guide gets in for two damage every time it gets in. So when you're looking at your red deck, or your aggro deck, really, it doesn't have to be red, but when you're looking at your red deck and you're thinking, I want two damage for every card, you get that out of your first attack with Goblin Guide, if it gets through. And every time after that that you get Goblin Guide through, you are getting another card worth of card advantage. Because you're expecting to get two damage for each of your cards, and Goblin Guide could get four, or six, or even eight damage in the game. And I think that ties back to why it's the philosophy of fire, not just that aggro is a building block of magic. There's right. the philosophy of fire, tempo, and card advantage. The thing is, with philosophy of fire, you have to be thinking about it a different way. Yeah. For you, you're not trying to compare your card advantage to your opponent as far as they have this many cards that they've seen this game and I've seen this many spells. No, no, no. What you need to do is go, okay, anytime that they play a card that makes me have to play another card, they've gained card advantage on. Sure. Because you're not worried about how many cards they play. You're worried about how many cards you have to play. Yeah. So that means that Goblin Guide is a card advantage engine. Because every time he hits your opponent, that's one less spell you have to play. And right. you don't care about how many cards your opponent has. Yeah. If, say, Shock is our basic card concept, right? Like, that is the expected value that we get out of a card. Say, Lightning Bolt is the same, but it's a card and a half. Yep. And I bring that up because when you are calculating how many cards you need to win the game, if it Shocks, if they're all Shocks, then that's ten cards, right? If they're all Lightning Bolts, it's only seven. And that's just one more damage per card. So a card like Goblin Guide... Or something similar. Eidolon of the Great Revel. Sure. Which isn't always, but could potentially get eight damage. That's four cards. So if you did eight damage with your Goblin Guide, 
then you only need three. You only need three of him. Yeah, so in that way, you're playing on a different axis of the game. You're trying to conserve the number of cards you need rather than get more cards. Yes. Or reduce the number of cards you need rather than get more cards. Yeah, and that's why stuff like Skullcrack can be a two-for-one. It can be a three-for-one if your opponent was playing a spell that gained them four life. Yeah. Because if they gained four life, you needed two more, and you got to get in three damage right here. So... Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know, Don, do you have some more thoughts on the philosophy of fire? No, I don't. Okay. I'm a Jun player. We don't follow the philosophy of fire. Okay. Well, would you say Jun makes you more of a tempo or more of a card advantage player? More of a card advantage player. I just do it via two-for-ones, not drawing extra cards. Okay. I'm very much a card advantage player. I just don't enjoy drawing random cards. I like mm-hmm. porting my cards by using one card to deal with two of theirs. Sure. Well, I just think this concept, this philosophy of fire concept, is sort of a just like a return to fundamentals of magic sort of thing, is to, to keep in mind when you are deciding what to play or evaluating your opponent or, or any of those things, that uh, playing Burn or playing Sly or any of these aggro decks isn't necessarily the easy deck. It's a different axis of play and keeping in mind that you or your opponent is trying to follow this specific principle to win the game help you to win games you might otherwise lose. And realizing that the mindset is different and that you and your opponent are not necessarily playing for the same goal, even though you're both trying to reduce each other's life from 20 to zero, can be very important and can matter a lot because picking what to fight over and where you need to play your spells can matter a lot when one of you is playing. Yeah. Because if, say, uh, say your opponent, I don't know, puts a pacifism on your jackal pup, you know, just to try and hit as many antique cards as I can, and that just means they, they removed an efficient, cheap creature, right? You may see that and go, well, I got my use out of it, right? That may not affect your game plan at all. Yeah, you played your jackal pup, you dealt them two damage, now they've pacified it. And sure, you would have preferred to get in for four or six damage. That would have been nice. Now you didn't, so that's why they wanted to pacify that card, but you already got your use out of it. You're reasonably happy with your jackal pup. Yeah, and it's one of those things that when you're playing burn, you really need to keep this kind of stuff in mind, especially when dealing with your opponent's planeswalk. Yeah. Because this is the kind of thing you have to think about it to yourself and look at your hand and assess what you've got going on and go okay so my opponent has a planeswalk there i can kill it right now that's Mm -hmm. generally something that the aggro player can do when a planeswalker comes down they very much most of the time can kill it sure but the question is are you gonna have to expend so many resources and cards killing that planeswalker that you're not able to kill your opponent Mm -hmm. and you need to look at what the abilities it's using are and are those abilities going to give them enough value in your card advantage mind over the course of how long it's going to take you to kill your opponent to be better to kill the planeswalker or even if their planeswalkers has an ability that directly gains them life if their planeswalker gains them one life on its plus and you can kill your opponent in two turns but it's going to take you six damage to kill that planeswalk even as a player who really doesn't want your opponent to gain life sometimes it's better just to leave the planeswalker yeah because say you attack the planeswalker with all your creatures instead of attacking the player and you kill the planeswalker get it off the board right well depending on the board state that may have 
effectively just gained your opponent 8 life. And against an aggro deck, a spell that just gains your opponent 8 life is great for them. Yeah, whereas if they played that spell and gained 2 life, that's one card. Right, and and I think the, the situation probably comes up. So, I think this situation can even come up in a limited game, where you haven't built your whole deck to work under the philosophy of fire, right? It just, you can use the mindset in even a normal type game, because if, say, you are, you're in a limited game, and you look at your hand and you have two lightning bolts, right? And your opponent is not within range of you killing them, and they have a better board state than you, and you're pretty confident you're going to lose this game. If you think about it from the Philosophy of Fire's perspective, the Philosophy of Fire just says, can I get them to six? If I can get them to six, I win the game. Yeah. So you don't have to... You don't have to gain control of the board state. Right. You don't have to have more cards than your opponent. You can be in a totally losing position... But you have that six damage with the two cards in your hand. So if you can get them down to six, you win the game. Yeah, and I find myself falling victim to the other side of that all the time in Limited. Mm -hmm. Of I have played the game trying to two-for-one my opponent and run them out of resources until we get to the point where I have commanding presence over the battlefield i have six cards in my hand and my opponent has nothing and mm -hmm. they rip a card off the top that deals me four damage and i die and it doesn't matter how commanding my board state was they they killed me now and i, I have lost sure when i yeah. might could have done different decisions earlier to preserve my life total and not preserve as much of a commanding board presence made different blocks or whatever and i know this is going to be more relevant to really new players than those of us who have been around a long time. But I've definitely seen it happen where you'd be in that exact same situation and you're and you're at four life maybe and your opponent pulls that spell that can just burn for four and they use it to take out your best creature. And you're going, that could have just literally won you the game. Yeah. And you lost because they weren't approaching the game with the perspective of the philosophy of fire. Yeah, that's one of those things that even when you're not following the philosophy of fire, knowing it can give you a lot of edges sometimes. Yeah, and I, I just, uh, I found this article to be helpful when I was kind of learning how to play aggro decks and play against aggro decks. I thought it was interesting when I was looking back over some of the articles that, you know, I saved from back in the day, and I thought this one was one that maybe people weren't familiar with and you can check it out if star city recently changed how their archive works so links to articles on star city almost never work anymore but if you go to their premium site you don't have to have premium but if you go to their premium section and search the philosophy of fire in their articles it'll come up if you would like to take a look at it and and i'll put a link that should work in our show notes worked when you posted it yeah <laughs> yeah, and and so it should work when this goes up, because what I was saying is they changed it a couple of weeks ago, you know, so it should just be fine now, but they're saying if uh if you just Google this, you're probably not going to be able to get there. It'll go to a, like, 404 not found page on okay. Star City, but if you use the link I provide, or if you just go to Star City's premium page and search for it, you, you can get it. I hope we have some listeners out there who like to play aggro decks and will let us know what they think of the philosophy of fire, whether they've heard of it before and that's how they play the game, or if 
this is new to them and they and they're thinking like, Wow, yeah, I've been doing that all along and I never even thought of it that way or something. Yeah. That'll be cool. But speaking of feedback, we have a little bit if you want to talk about that before we go. Yeah. You want me to just read it off? Sure. We got an email asking if there's any way our wonderful episodes could be uploaded sooner than what they are now. Currently, I'm able to listen as soon as Thursday night after our record on Monday. Thanks. Came in from JJ, I believe. Yep, that was JJ. And I really, I really appreciate that JJ likes the episodes and wants to get them sooner. And I would like to be able to put them out for him. And I will say, you know, theoretically, it should be possible to do that. Uh, but not to, you know, play the tiny violin or whatever, but I also have to go to work. I do this in my free time. So right now, we record on Monday, then I work Tuesday, and I get most of the editing done Wednesday. And it should, the episode should go up Thursday morning, and hopefully that will be true in the future, and so you'll get on a little bit earlier. But recently... I just had a lot of stuff going on. It, it didn't really affect this episode or the last episode that much, but just as an example, you know, we had Thanksgiving stuff. I had a car accident, you know. So the, the last couple episodes have probably been going up later on Thursday, but the goal is to have them up Thursday mornings, and, you know, if I'm ever in a position to do this full-time, I may be able to, to do a better job of that. But right now, I think that's the best I can expect. All right. I, I think that's... That's all I have to talk about tonight, Don. Is there anything else that you wanted to do? No. All right. Well, I want to let the listeners know that we just had Thanksgiving this last week. And, uh, and I I appreciate all of our listeners. That's that's my thanks. One thing I am thankful for is our listeners, especially Jacob. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's probably more sappy than you guys wanted me to get on the show. But really, I, I'm grateful to all the people who come and listen to the show. And uh, come back. We'll, we'll have another episode for you next week. Uh, in the meantime, Donovan, I think people probably want to know where they can uh, find your thoughts about aggro decks and read Duke and all that stuff. They didn't get enough of you here. Where, where else can they find you? Well, mostly you can find me at Boardwalk Games and dallas that's i'm a lot more vocal there than anywhere else but sure. if you, you are uh, loud yeah i can be sure my roommates are super happy yelling and recording this <laughs> in the middle of the night yeah I'm but sure. on top of that you can also find me on the twitters at day underscore donovan cool and if you're masochistic you can find more of my content at engine within on twitter and if you would like me to put this podcast on YouTube, I would like to do that. You can check out patreon.com slash engine within to make that happen. And if you'd like to hear our other podcasts, I'm on the list. It's a video game podcast I host with Daniel. And as always, you can visit enginewithin.com to find both of those shows and all the other fine products from the Engine Within Network. Where can people it's find really you if they're not? Oh, all the same places. I just don't understand why they work. All right, Donovan. Say goodbye. Bye. Oh. <laughs> Later days, man. All right. Austin Lasagna, don't get me on you. Dude, I, I keep losing my place. Will you check me for thought numbers? said I keep losing my place. Will you check me for thought numbers? All right. That's good. Good night. You have work. I'm so Yep. What is up, everybody, and welcome back... And? Why and? Oh, well, welcome back to Planeswalkers Anonymous. They might listen. So I shouldn't say they're good people?